This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to HeyYA Extra Credit. Every other week, opposite the main HeyYA podcast, we'll bring you a short-form podcast, either as a book club discussion with a beloved YA author or a look at excellent backlist YA for your TBR. I'm Kelly Jensen, and on today's episode, I'm chatting with YA author Christina Forrest, author of I Want to Be Where You Are and Now That I Found You. We're talking today about one of our mutual favorites from youth, a book that celebrates 20 years of publication next year, which, surprise, I learned we'll be getting a new look and updated language in its new release slated for early 2021. I want to say May 2021. Um, More on that coming soon, but it feels appropriate to preface the episode with that since I suspect we'll be talking a little bit about the language in this book as as we dig into it, and rightly so. But before I tell you about the book, before we dig into our conversation, Christina, I'd love if you would introduce yourself, tell listeners about your books, and maybe a little bit about what you loved reading growing up and what led you to YA. Yeah, so I'm Christina Forrest, and like you said, I'm the author of I Want to Be Where You Are and Now That I've Found You, which are both rom-coms. Um, I Want to Be Where You Are is about a ballerina named Chloe who goes on a road trip for a dance audition behind her mom's back. And she's blackmailed and joined by her neighbor, a boy named Eli, and his dog, Geezer. And they get into a lot of shenanigans along the way. Um, And Now That I Found You, which is my sophomore novel that came out in August, is about an up-and-coming actress named Evie who is also blacklisted very early on in her career. (laughs) And she thinks the only way she can make a huge comeback is if she makes an appearance with her very famous grandmother. And days before they are supposed to make this big appearance, her grandmother disappears. And the last person to have seen her is a musician named Milo. So the two of them go on a wild search throughout New York City trying to find her grandmother before this big event. Um, And so... I, when I was growing up, I read a lot when I was a kid, like in elementary school, but I went through a huge phase in middle school where I just did not read at all unless it was um, required for school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, and I tried to, I don't know why. I think I was just very busy. When I was in middle school, I was in so many clubs. And I, I don't know if it was like rebellious. I just didn't want to read or I don't know what it was. Really. <laughs> but in high school, I got so super lazy and so I wasn't in I still danced I still did ballet but I wasn't in any clubs I didn't do any sports like I didn't I barely went to any school activities and um, all of my friends are almost a year older than me because I skipped kindergarten and so the summer that we that my friends were 16 and I was 15 they were all working and I wasn't old enough to get a job. <laughs> so I just started reading and I would go to the library my, or my mom or my grandmother would take me to Barnes and Noble. 
And um, I've always loved romance, you know, like Mm -hmm. I always loved watching romantic films or whatever. And so I was, that's what I was looking for. And then of course, Sarah Dessen was huge. (laughs) (laughs) And so I read this lullaby and I loved it. And then of course I I had to go back and read all of her other books. I think the second book I read was The Truth About Forever. Um, and I felt like I'd hit a gold mine with that. With that. I was like, oh my gosh, this specific author is wonderful. I'm going to read all her books. And I also read um, Rachel Cohn's Gingerbread series. Mm. It's so funny. Um, and yeah, then from there, I just kept reading. And then I was like, you know, basically, I was like, I, I know that this is what I want to do. I want to be a writer. I want to write these kinds of stories. Um, and that influenced me to go to college for writing. And then I went to grad school to get my MFA. Um, and now I'm here. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. And I love to, I think what you hit on is something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And that's that sometimes kids who have, you know, let's say everything going for them, who would be what you would typecast as like your big reader, sometimes mm-hmm. just don't. Like, I you're so busy. Like your brain needs a break, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's not that you're not interested in books or that you're not a reader. It's just like when you're doing so much with school, with activities, with family, it's like you need the, that time to just not do anything to you. <laughs> yeah, basically that's what it was. And so I, re- I remember one book that I read for fun was, well, because my brother was two years ahead of me. And so whenever he would read for school, I would sometimes read his books. So I remember reading The Outsiders. And then by the time I got to the seventh grade, it was our turn to read it. And I spoiled the ending for my reading. (laughs) (laughs) And my teacher was so mad at me. But I asked them, I was like, guys, I read this and I know what happens. Like, do you want to know what happens at the end? And they said, yeah. And so I told them and then everyone was so upset with me, but I was like, I gave you an option. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that so much. Um, I'm going to hit our sponsor and then we'll dive into the book because this book, like I think hits all the reasons that you found a love for reading in Mm -hmm. um, high school. And I will say same thing for me, like it hit all my sweet spots when I discovered it. Mm -hmm. So our sponsor for this episode is How to Do It Now by Leslie Josel. With distance learning, teens are having to manage their time and attention now more than ever. Procrastination is especially tough for young adults. Getting started is overwhelming and it's hard to get motivated. Not knowing how long things take messes up planning and distractions are everywhere. We are all wired to put things off, but we can learn tools and techniques to kick this habit. This book is a user-friendly guide to help teens get their tasks done. Simple, straightforward, and with a touch of humor, it's packed with practical solutions and easily digestible tips to stay on top of homework, develop a sense of time, manage digital distractions, create easy-to-follow routines, and get unstuck. This sounds like a book I need. That's (laughs) How to Do It Now by Leslie Jozel. I uh, am having so much of a struggle with that, and I have like all year long, which I'm sure is common. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So do you want to introduce the book that we're going to talk about? Yes, sure. Okay, so we are going to talk about Sloppy First by Megan Cafferty, mm-hmm. um, which is the first book in the Jessica Darling series. 
Um, and they're like five altogether, mm-hmm. right? There's, yeah. fi- there's five that are like that YA slash adult. And then I think there's two that are middle grade. Right. That came, came out like, I don't know, five or six years ago. Those were made into a Netflix film that was pretty darn good. <laughs> I didn't know that. I knew about the middle grade books, but I did not know that they made a Netflix thing into it. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, and it was, um, for readers who know the series and know the characters, um, it was really interesting to watch them when they're in middle school and, like, see all their personalities sort of there. Um, and, and, like, you know where they're going to go from there. It was it was such a, like, treat for fans of the series. But I think readers who aren't familiar with it would have still yeah. gotten a lot out of seeing it. Yeah, that's funny. I'll have to look that up. Do you want to uh, give a... <laughs> I don't know if there's like an easy, quick way to give a synopsis for this one. <laughs> I can but... try. I can try. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So um, at the beginning of the novel, Jessica or Jess's best friend, Hope, has just moved to Tennessee, mm-hmm. I believe is the state that yeah. she moves to. And Jess and Hope are like best friends, ride or dies. Like Jess doesn't. Jessica, like, doesn't care about anyone else in her life other than Hope. <laughs> and so when Hope leaves, she's left really devastated. And um, she emails with Hope, at least we see in the, she emails and they talk regularly. But in the book, you only see, like, the first of each month that they email with each other. And the rest of the book is sort of, like, I, I guess it's not necessarily epistolary because she's not giving the, a letter to anyone, but she's writing in her journal. Um, and so it's journal entries from January of her sophomore year until January, basically, of her junior year, or like the December of her junior year. Um, and it's about all the highs and lows of her year without her best friend and trying to navigate new friendships and boys um, and her family. And it's, it, yeah, it's kind of like there is no like, one hook hooky line about this because it's just about her life like it's it's a lot of slice of life like not in a bad way but it's kind of just her year <laughs> like these are all the things that happened to her in one year yeah yeah I think that captures it perfectly like this is very much a character driven novel and yeah. Jessica Darling is very much like you know her by her voice and yes. her voice is just like <laughs> Um, the one of the original blurbs from the Wall Street Journal was Judy Bloom meets Dorothy Parker, and that's like such a perfect encapsulation of what her voice is like. She's yeah. witty and yet also super insightful, and she tries to be really progressive in some of her thinking, but like falls short because she's a sixteen-year-old girl who right. hasn't, you know, experienced life outside of her very white suburb, um, right. which she says, you know in the book itself. So it's that she's not unaware of how like limited her perspective is, but she's also very much like living in that bubble. Mm -hmm. What sort of drew you to this one? I know one of the reasons I I wanted to talk with you about this one is because you said this was a book you loved the first time you read it. And um, I'd love to hear like where you discovered it and what made you really enjoy it. Yeah, so I actually did not read this in high school. Oh. I had not heard of this. Um, Mm -hmm. I read this my first year of grad school because when I was in high school, I only read, like, certain authors. There was just a lot – there's just a lot 
of oh, yeah. authors I didn't know about. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, depending on whatever bookstore you go to, there are limited things or whatever my library had. Um, and so once I got to grad school, I went to school in New York. And so there were so many bookstores around and the Strand has almost everything. <laughs> and I was at the Strand and I saw a copy of Sloppy First for like $7. And I was with one of my really good friends who was in my program who re- had read a lot more YA than I did. Um, and so she was like, oh, I loved these books. And so at the time, I was just trying to read as voraciously as possible. Um, and so I read this. And I thought it was so funny. And you know what, what's kind of funny is that reading this now, I'm like, yikes. Some of the things that she said, I had, it was like, because I was reading so much. I was reading like a book a day that summer because I was really just trying to like check off all the authors I'd heard so much about when I, like my first semester and that, mm-hmm. that I never knew. So I was reading a book a day and this was one of the ones that I read very quickly. And so I almost, when I think about this book, I, I well, actually, I don't even think about sloppy first. I think about second helpings and that mm-hmm. scene when Marcus Flutie is wearing the shirt that says you, yes, you at, the, <laughs> at their like free prom party or whatever. I mostly think about the two of them. I don't, mm-hmm. I did not have like a, big memory of everything else. And so when I was rereading it for this discussion, it was almost like I was reading it for the first time because there was so much I just did not just did not remember. And so yeah, I read this like five years ago maybe. Um and I thought it was really funny. And I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> so there were so many things. I'm from New Jersey and then like when I was 21 or so I moved to New York. So there were like a lot of things that I felt like were were a little bit similar between mm-hmm. like my experience in high school and Jessica's experience in high school. Um, but yeah, like I, I wonder what I was thinking five years ago because some of the humor is so dated and it, oh yeah, like, <laughs> whoa, I would never, like I would never, like if I saw that in a book today, I'd be like, no, no way. Mm-hmm. I would've been so depressed, you know, but um yeah, so that's sort of how I discovered it. I was just trying to read a bunch of like the big name authors I hadn't gotten to yet. And this was on that list. It's so funny because I read this probably my junior or senior year of high school, like right when it came out. This okay. Came out, yeah. So um, this came out in 2001. So I was, yeah, a junior or, yeah, I was a junior then. And it's, Interesting because all these books came out right when I was going through the same exact like period in my life that Jessica was going through. And I just like I connected with that so much. I grew up in the suburbs like I understood that very white suburban life Mm -hmm. and like her tone, her perspective on things really resonated with me. And it wasn't until revisiting it this time that I think I understood like what I really connected with with her and I I think that um it was her experience and expression of anxiety and depression that like yeah. I didn't pick up on before. Yeah. Um but I I'm 100% with you as I was reading this some of the humor, some of the jokes. I was like, "Ooh, like dated but also so bad." Um so yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's like a lot of like <laughs> slut shaming and fat shaming mm-hmm. and like 
like not I don't know I wouldn't necessarily say racist but there's like the group like the white kids who appropriate black culture she mm-hmm. called like the wiggas and I was like oh my god <laughs> yep yep what yeah I like had no memory of any of that but I'm I, like I would like to think that me as a black reader five years ago was probably like um okay no but like I just kept going um but back to what you were saying about like how Jessica was dealing with anxiety and depression, I didn't really pick up on that the first time I was reading it either because she basically doesn't have her period for a year because she's yes. so stressed out. Yes. I I wrote a note um, like in February. So it starts in January. In February, she starts writing about not having had a period in like three or four months. And she has this whole bit in there about not having passion and not understanding what it is to be passionate about something. Mm -hmm. And when she had that moment, I was like, oh, oh, I've had that too. And I know where that goes. Mm -hmm. And as the book progressed and we see her really fall into this long period of depression, she um, does get a diagnosis eventually of anxiety that sends her mom into a spiral. Like her mom is really mad about this. Yeah. Um, And there's, it's so like very of the time because at that time when this book came out and it set in the early 2000s, the sorts of discussions that we are having more openly now about mental health, like comparing just that 20 year journey took me back to being in high school and, having these same experiences and having no words to put to them or Mm -hmm. understand them and reading it now as an adult who does understand, you know, it's like, why is nobody helping this girl? You know? Yeah. (sighs) There's that scene when she is talking to her mother after, is it after they, I think they hang out together because she's not going to homecoming. Like, Mm -hmm. and she just breaks down in the car because she's like, I, I, I'm not who either of you are. You, like her mother or her father want her to be and they don't like her when she's trying to be herself. So she doesn't know what to do. And I felt that so strongly, like, you know, mm. when you're just, she's trying to figure herself out and she can't be someone else. But then when she's, when you're trying to be yourself, you're still unlike, that's really hard. Yes. Often talks about her unlikable personality. And I think she said, there's one point where she says like, after she broke her leg or her ankle, it's like she had, now she has a reason to be grumpy instead of just blaming her sucky personnel. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, Jessica, I wish you had Tumblr, you know? I know, I know, I know. It's like, oh, girl, you'd have gotten so much help that would have just made things make more sense. Even if you didn't feel better, it would give you some, like perspective outside your bubble and outside these parents who you know we only get her perspective but Mm -hmm. from everything she says like her parents are not really there um mom is so busy with the sister who's getting married and then her mom is also clearly upset that the sister is no longer like part of the household and she you know, she's struggling with that. And then there's dad who just wants Jessica to be like Trek star. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like constantly hopping on his bike. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> like drama happens. He's just like, I got to get on my bike. <laughs> yes. But she does the same thing with running. She and does. She, 
you know, she's sneaking out of the house at 3 a.m. to go running and that's when she gets hurt and her parents like lose it because she's been sneaking out of the house and they think that it's, you know, for malicious reasons. And she's like, no, I just can't sleep. So I'm running. And um, it just, it's like, you're, you're doing the same thing dad does. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Oh gosh. I, I forgot that she got hurt. Mm-hmm. But once it happened, I was like, oh yeah, now I remember this. <laughs> There's this scene. Um, we haven't even talked about like the romances. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like there's one scene in here I want to talk about in depth because like the first time I read it, I cringed so much. And then when I got to it the second time in rereading it, I was like, I remember this scene so vividly and everything that happened in it and like how it played out. And I had a real life like experience that was not dissimilar to this and I can't like stop thinking about how weird that scene was but uh before we get to that because I know you know what it is um do you want to talk about the boys who are in this story (laughs) so there's um there's Scotty the first one who's like they were together for like what was it six weeks or something in middle middle school right or was it freshman year or was it middle school I can't remember. It was like right when people started to kind of go out with yeah. each other. And yeah, I don't know if you had that experience, but it's like, you know, you date, quote unquote, so many people <laughs> and they don't really last a long time. Yeah. It's like, it's just what everybody seems to be doing, even mm-hmm. if they're not. Um, and it feels like you have that pressure to <laughs> be with somebody. But mm-hmm. um, they remain friends. They They remain pretty good friends after that incident and her parents are like so stuck on him still sort of being like the ideal partner for her yes because Scotty is like I feel like they feel like if she I feel like her parents think that if she dates Scotty it will bring her out of whatever funk she's having it will it will make her more quote-unquote normal and like Mm. terms of like how Bethany is because Mm -hmm. Scotty is like the cute jock and he's like overall a pretty at least in the first book he's pretty decent yeah yeah he's pretty decent and so at least compared to like the things <laughs> about the other boys she goes to school with Scotty is pretty okay and like he doesn't curse except like the those few times that he gets really upset but like you know he just tries to, he, I feel like he tries to do the right thing and so, but she just doesn't like him, which is so, at least not in that way. And that's so relatable. Like, yes. This, this, here's this person who likes me, number one, which is already hard enough <laughs> to find, you know, to find someone who likes you. And he's like, overall, a good guy, but you just don't like him. And mm. it's like, what do you do with that? And then you feel the pressure because people are telling you that you should like him, that you're like, oh, maybe things would just be easier if I did. And there's something mm-hmm. like sad, but like relatable about that as well. Yeah. Um, but then he turns around and she's just because she asked him to go to the wedding and then he gets a girlfriend and he's like, I can't go anymore. Yes. <laughs> so, so wrong. So that's, that's guy number one. Mm-hmm. Um, guy number two is Paul. <laughs> Paul oh, Piano. Yes. And he is her dream guy. He is a senior when she's a sophomore and he is on the track team, which is how they met. And she is like obsessed with this guy. Yeah. And 
yet she's too afraid to like make any moves or like put herself out there until she goes to a party and drinks too much. And she's with him and she's talking with him. And then she throws up on his shoes and the whole scene plays out where she's like, I had this moment. I made a, you know, idiot of myself. And like, that's the last I'm ever going to see of him. I know that that's one of my favorite scenes it's because of the way that it's written. Like, you know, she's just like, Oh my God, that's Paul. And then she goes over and starts <laughs> rambling and he's so kind to her. And then she just like barbs. I think that is so funny. I really love that scene. It was so funny. And, and just like, you know, she's writing about it from a place of like, wow, I did this really stupid thing. <laughs> and like, I, I'm owning that I did this really stupid thing. Yes. <laughs> so he graduates when she is a junior and kind of falls out of the picture, um, mm-hmm. partially because of this experience, partially because he's literally not at the school anymore, though we do learn that he is gay um, right. later on. And that... They're, they're updating the language in this book for the re-release, and I, I really sincerely hope some of the discussions about um, queerness yeah. are updated, because they definitely felt 2000 um, in a way that like made me very uncomfortable in how my own high school experience was, in mm-hmm. how it treated um, people who fell anywhere under the queer spectrum that I think now is... Not the same. Certainly in some communities it is, but I think overall has shifted quite a bit. Yes, it's definitely a very uh, dated dated way that the conversations happened after you find out that Paul is gay. Um, Mm -hmm. So like you, I hope that (laughs) that's addressed. (laughs) Yes. And it's... yeah, I don't want to say it's like it's offensive or harmful, but it's very dated. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and you read it and you're like, oh man, this was not written this year. You know, <laughs> like this was not written with an understanding of um what the reality is to be queer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's the third guy, <laughs> and that's Marcus Flutie, and uh, Marcus was friends with Hope, her best friends brother who died of a heroin overdose so for jessica marcus has always been this kid who's been associated with drugs and addiction and being this like really quote-unquote bad boy even though every interaction she's had with him she has not felt that way like she's felt a weird conflict about this image he gives off versus who he really is inside yeah, and he's really smart. Yes, which is like, they're, they're like equals. Mm-hmm. And oh, sorry, no, you got it. No, I was gonna say it's like uh, when they start junior year, he's in almost all of her classes, yeah. and it was something of a deal with his. Um, oh, I can't remember what he said. He's he's getting help for his addictions, right. and um. Part of the deal was he would take these intense classes and really apply himself because he had the intelligence to do it. And so this was like his way of getting himself help as well. Yeah. 
Um, and at the beginning of the novel, when Jessica is talking about how she can't like Scotty, she's basically saying that she just wants a, <laughs> she wants a guy who's basically like Hope, <laughs> mm-hmm. like has all the per- all the you know all the things that she loves about her relationship with Hope. She just wishes she could meet a guy like that. And then she and Marcus have that kind of the way that they talk to each other. They make like talk about millions of topics and you know that's and th- that ends up being what she has with Marcus um but then you sort of find out why at least why she thinks it was the way that it was if that makes any sense without like, mm-hmm. spoiling what happened yeah. to the two of them yes um, yeah and we know when you get to the end of the book that there's going to be more to the story with Marcus and Mm -hmm. he sort of, he plays out in all five books. Um, But the scene I want to talk about is the one where Jessica is in the nurse's office because she is not feeling well. And (laughs) Marcus comes in. I I guess there's no nurse around and he asks Jessica if she will do his drug test for him because he has to pass it. And she can't believe he's asking her this. And at the same time, she's, I think, fairly quick to say, sure, I'll do it. And so she does. She fakes the the drug test for him so that he could pass. The problem is (laughs) when they do the drug test, they know that it is not Marcus's urine because it, um, They can tell hormonally that it's not from um, him. And so there's this now big conspiracy at the school of who who did it. And nobody will point their finger at Jessica. (laughs) Because this was like the last person they would think to do something like that. Yes. And I, this, I don't know why that scene stuck in my head, like from 20 years ago, but it did. And um, in college, I I can't believe that this is like a real thing that happened. But um, I heard a story of a girl and I'll say I heard a story because I went to a small school. It was like 1500 mm-hmm. students. This is not like big school, you know, rumor, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, this really happened. But um, a girl faked a positive pregnancy test to stay with a guy um, and she convinced a professor to like give her her urine for a quote unquote science experiment and like pulled the whole thing off. Yeah. And I'm like, where have I heard this before? You know, (laughs) it's like, Oh, that was in a book I read, you know, not the same thing, but very darn close. And it's like, Whoa, how bizarre is that? (laughs) Real life is stranger than fiction sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I have also heard it. What you know, people faking drug tests for other people. I have heard of stuff like that happening too. So when I read it, but I also read it when I was in my early twenties, mm. and so I was like, "Oh yeah, this is the thing that happens." So <laughs> I'm sure in high school, I'd have been like, "Jessica, what are you doing?" <laughs> and I mean, yes, I you know, I went to high school in the suburbs and <laughs> was, you know, I am white and it was a very white school. And so like my perspective was very similar to Jessica's and that it was like this tiny little bubble. So mm. <laughs> the first time I read it, I was like, who does something like that? Like, we're, <laughs> you know, and now as an adult, like I, I get why it would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still that scene still like made me pause the whole time. Um, it felt 
both completely out of character for her and yet perfectly in character for her as well. Yeah, because he like, oh, she at first she's, I think, did she say no at first? Or she's just like, what? And then he's like, I knew you wouldn't do it. And that sort of sets her off because she doesn't like him having that idea of her in his head that she's like a coward or something because she feels the need to impress him. Yes. Um, yeah, because she like basically secretly likes him the whole time. <laughs> and, and I think he knows it too. Yeah. Like, because he likes her as well. And. Mm-hmm. Neither of them can use their actual words to <laughs> to talk about it. Basically, that's why things always like end up blowing up between the two of them. <laughs> yes. And she even says, because um, she eventually gets called down to the principal's office to be asked about this. since they figured out she was the last one in the nurse's office when Marcus had gone in there. And the principal was like, Oh, I know it wasn't you. It was this girl named Taryn Baker. And <laughs> Jessica's right. like, oh, Taryn Baker's just this dweeby freshman who wants notoriety. So she like voluntarily, you know, confessed to a crime she didn't commit. And then she's like, my last name saved me again. <laughs> it's like Jessica. I know. She's like, I have the, I'm a shady suit with the name. My name is Jessica Darling. Like mm-hmm. no one ever thinks I'm going to do anything bad. And I was like, you know what? That's really funny. <laughs> and then that somebody confessed to it who didn't even do it. <laughs> because they want to clout. I was like, that's so strange. I mean, I get it. I understand <laughs> behind it. But how? what a strange way to, like, earn, like, a name for yourself. Right. Cool. Like, of all things that you could do, like, okay. You know, and, and Marcus doesn't deny it either. He's like, whatever. Like, right, right. <laughs> um. And then there's this other thing. Who do you remember the name of the girl who like faked her whole Instagram personality? Was it Carolyn? Um, Hyacinth. And yes. they called her high. Yeah. yeah. But but she reminded me of that story of that girl who just did this with Instagram. Is it Carolyn Calloway? Oh, Some- oh yes. Um th- they like wrote some her friend exposed her. Like Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I immediately thought of that with Hyacinth. Um, do you oh, want to talk about this part of the book? Yeah. So when, uh, you know, after Hope leaves and it's the spring, it's the beginning of, I guess, the spring semester and a new girl comes to school and um, Jessica, you know, isn't like super eager to make a new friend, but she thinks that high is, you know, she's not like, she's from the city. She's kind of cool. And she has like a personality that Jessica feels like they, they get along. Um, she's it's like very clear to point out that she doesn't think she'd ever replace Hope and she doesn't think they'd be best friends, but they're cool. And with the rest of their friend group, the two of them are sort of see eye to eye more often. And then um, weirdly, Ty starts hanging out more with the other two girls, Amanda and Sarah. And um, Jessica starts to feel a little left out. And then she's like, why do I feel left out? I didn't want to be friends with them anyway. <laughs> so we find out that Hyacinth is actually like, was doing like research for this <laughs> book she was going to write about basically dumb girl or stupid girls in suburbia. And that's why she stopped hanging out with Jessica because she felt like the other friends were like ditzy and she wanted to basically get more material and it's this huge thing, this huge blow up school <laughs> after she leaves because they find out that she's actually not who she said she was. I just, this whole 
section I'd forgotten about it. And as I was reading it, I was like, this reminds me of that Instagram influencer who did all this stuff. And um, I had written in my notes, I was writing month by month in my notes. And it was like, mm-hmm. okay, um, under March, I wrote about how, um, having this like really elitist view of being from the city. And yeah. like she made fun of Jess's defense of Pineville, like, I think many suburbanites, you know, like you make fun of it because you're there and you live in it, but you're also defensive of it when somebody from outside is like, how, you know, and so it's, it was fascinating to see that note. And then in September, when everything is revealed, it's like, oh, my own instincts were right about this. (laughs) And I had completely (laughs) forgotten. Right. And it's just like, that's what the, that's why it's so hard to like try to sum up this book in one, like one elevator pitch because mm-hmm. so many things happen. Yes. Like I forgot about, like, even when we were talking just now, I forgot about that whole subplot with Hi until you said something. And what's, I think, impressive to me is this book is like 200 and. Oh, 70 pages it's not that long mm-hmm. and yet there's so much packed in here just in these little journal and ent- none of the journal entries are particularly long either um, yeah you know four or five pages for the longest one and it's like yet she packs so much in there and it really sort of reminded me just what high school is like like there's so much packed into a day and it doesn't always have this perfectly linear timeline or narrative but it's there and it's all part of your experience being there. Yeah. It feels just like continuous because yes. there are no like chapter breaks. It's just like, well, I guess it is when it starts like a new month, but all throughout the month, it's just like, this is everything that happens in the month of March. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's like the break when she emails hope. And then it's like, this is everything that happened in the month of April. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something that I really appreciate about that. Like, continuous this is just everything that's happening to me and I'm just going to tell you and and I'm going to tell you in this really hilarious voice Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and it doesn't feel like it tries hard to be funny is I think what makes it funny you know I I'm sure you've read them too where the character is very sarcastic or has this biting edge to them that feels like it tries a little too hard to be that Whereas there are a lot of moments in this where you see Jessica's real feelings come out. And I think that seeing that authenticity really tempers those moments that are just so funny in her observations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she, I don't think that Jessica thinks of herself as being funny. Mm -hmm. It's a very self-deprecating sense of humor. Um, So yeah, that's why you appreciate it all the more because she's really just, she's not trying to be anything but herself, even though she doesn't know who that is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's yeah. It's just something like very kind of pure about that. One of the things I wrote down um, and I think what makes this book, despite some of the like clearly dated language and dated like, situations this happened there's like a y2k joke at the beginning of the book um to give it like a time setting and then there's also this note um in december where she and marcus go to a diner and the waitress asks smoking or non-smoking and i was like "Ooh, i don't know when the last time that was like a question that could even come up 
But I think what really sort of gives this book staying power, and I think why it'll continue to be one of those books that not just older, like adult Y readers have loved, but I think new readers will appreciate is that it's such a time capsule of universal feelings, that Mm -hmm. first love, that pressure to be something to your parents, that pressure to be accepted by your parents, that pressure to like understand who you are and what you love, even if you have no idea what that is. And um, there's just, there's something there too to be said about losing a best friend and what happens when you're suddenly like, what do I do now? I don't like these other people that I thought were my friends, but Really, I don't have the things in common with them than I thought I did. And even like something as simple as the summer drops that they're Mm. all at the Jersey Shore, or you know, which can easily translate to everyone getting a job at the mall Mm -hmm. where everyone's connected and then there's the parties. And yeah, it's just something that's kind of universal about that and will continue to be even with the way different ways that things are. A lot of the themes are things that people can still relate to. Absolutely. And again, I I didn't even realize how much I had related to her mental health. Like Mm -hmm. it's wild to think about that now and understand like this was what my experience was at that time. And I didn't have a word or language or way to like describe it either. And yet reading it now I'm like I knew within the first month like who something's going on here beyond just grieving the loss of your best friend um yeah yeah same 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 so it's like oh I wish she could have gotten help you know yeah. <laughs> um and I think I think she gets some help as the I was series say, progresses I think later she does yeah, yeah. um and I, I think that too is a reflection just of her growing up and and the times and um because the yeah, book definitely. series spanned like seven or ten years I can't remember when the last one came out I know it came out when I graduated grad school because <laughs> that's like where what she had done too um it's just wild um any anything else you wanted to talk about or bring up um I'm trying to think I had like halfway through started making notes on my phone (laughs) and I think all I have here like I brought up like the outdated humor I just Mm -hmm. I I was like I know Kelly is gonna bring that up too (laughs) um and then sorry I live on a really busy road in Brooklyn a a cop car going by but I wrote Marcus Flutie equals surprise love interest and I don't know what I was thinking about when I wrote that note down but I think um what I appreciate about this book is that you don't really know who Jessica's going to end up with. Like she kind of just sneaks Marcus in there. Mm-hmm. And like, at first it's Scotty. And like I said, like Scotty's not that bad of a guy. So you're like, well, are they going to cut? Cause there are moments when she's like a little jealous when she sees Scotty yeah. with the girls and you're like, well, is Scotty in game? And then there's the thing um, with the sister, uh, the brother-in-law's cousin or something we like tried to oh yeah at first he's so charming oh yeah but then he's like ugh. he's like but at first you're like oh is this gonna be a thing like is she finally gonna meet someone outside of her bubble who like you know it's gonna be like this cool boyfriend for her um or is it gonna be len levy (laughs) (laughs) 
a bigger character later on. Um, but you know, the way I just thought that was pretty well done the way that she like slowly and like sort of, well, you're not sort of, it's like sort of when you're looking away, she's like building Marcus up to be the love interest. And then you just look and like, Oh wait, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there he is. Um, and I just thought that that was really well done. I just, I appreciated that it wasn't, um, what we see so much of in terms of feeling like there's a forced romance. And I think, I think there's always a place for romance to show up in a YA book pretty naturally. Um, if that, you know, serves the character. And Mm -hmm. in this one, it felt very much like Jessica was trying to figure out, like, is there a romance line in my story here? Um, if so, like, where does it go? And how do I navigate that? And I just, it felt so authentic to her and to, her experiences yeah like by the end of the book or there are are parts of the book where I'm like you know I would wouldn't care if she didn't end up with anybody and I guess Mm -hmm. like by the end she kind of doesn't (laughs) and I was like yeah okay with that she's I was gonna say she's just she's exploring it yeah any other thoughts um (laughs) just that I'm very interested to see what it's like once they um revise it and I'm mm-hmm. super excited to see what the cover looks like or you know the whole series if they're just going to repackage the whole they, thing they are yeah that's yeah. really exciting yeah um, and I'd be interested to see you know or to hear I guess what you know a new group of readers think with uh the revised text you know for sure because I I'm curious what readers now would think um mm. and I I suspect that they would point out the same things that we did Um, just being that readers are much more conscious of these things than, Mm -hmm. you know, I was in high school. Um, and I think one of the things I even wrote down was like, when I was in high school, some of these jokes were funny and it was because it was, you know, of this white suburban time Mm -hmm. and just like in that bubble. But now kids in high school have a very different experience and are exposed, able to be exposed to much more and have better conversations about things that are funny versus things that are not funny. And um, so it's, it's an interesting time capsule too, in terms of just like how much has changed in humor and in Mm -hmm. what's appropriate to joke about or um, appropriate ways to discuss aspects of people's lives in 20 years and honestly even in I think the last five it's really yeah um, changed yeah I think I think that's our show um (laughs) this was fun I loved revisiting this and I love having this conversation with you thank Um, you for and having me on this is fun and I want readers to pick up your books because they're such a delight and <laughs> I I read um now that I found you at the like right moment when I was feeling like just overwhelmed with everything going on in the world and it was just mm-hmm. such a delight you know it's a rom-com and yet there's so much meat to it and I loved grandma so much. <laughs> I, I have a soft spot for old characters in YA books. And by old, I mean, you know, elderly characters yes. in YA books. And yeah. she was just, I, I loved her. I loved her so much. And I just loved this whole idea of this black lineage of actors who like yeah. just so 
like, oh, where is that? I need more of that. Like, I need to see more of that. I loved it. Um, yeah. So. I'm um, so glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Just keep on. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you mentioned you read a lot of romance, it's like, oh, yeah, totally see that. You know, I see the t- Sarah Destin in there. And that's um, awesome. So. Yeah. Thank you to today's sponsor for making the show possible. You can follow me on Instagram at Hey Kelly Jensen, and you can follow Christina at Where Would You Like People to Find You, Follow You. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Christina Forrest underscore and on Twitter at Christina Forrest. Perfect. I'll put those in the show notes too so people can just click and follow you. And uh, the book today we talked about was Slappy First by Megan McCafferty. It is out now. It's been out for a while. Um, and then it will be reissued next spring. More about that to come. Until next week, when we hit the main podcast, happy reading. Happy reading.